0: Last week, we looked at how God apprehended one of the most unlikely characters in the New Testament, a Pharisee. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And the Lord said of this one that he apprehended, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Really, Jesus? (laughs) This guy? Are you serious? Couldn't you find someone a little better, a little less hostile to your cause? It's a little shocking when you realize that God calls faulty, imperfect, even ornery people. (laughs) He calls them to be his chosen instruments to accomplish his purpose. Just look around the room today. That was a little brutal, wasn't it? (laughs) All right, just look up here on the stage then. How's that? Oh, thank you. Look up here and see this guy. I'm ornery and imperfect. Uh, Even though Saul called himself the chief of sinners, I think I could give him a run for his money. (laughs) I mean, at least when he was apprehended, he never turned away from the Lord. I went the prodigal way. Found myself in a pigsty. By God's grace, came to my senses. Came back to the Father. But the fact that God would use either one of us or anyone else sitting here today proves that he will use unlikely, unfaithful, unholy, unworthy characters. Scoundrels. To carry out his purpose. That's why Saul, when he is later writing to a church in Corinth, writes this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish, even fools, in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak. That fits me. In the world to shade in the strong, and God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. God loves to choose scoundrels, unholy, vicious, even vile people, and turn them into usefulness. Saul, he he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We've been reading about it. And he came out a changed man. I mean, the really powerful thing is that he was now more zealous for Jesus than even he had been against him. It's a powerful conversion. Look how it starts, Acts nine, nineteen. just the second portion of 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. A couple of things stand out to me as I read these things about Saul's conversion. First, (laughs) The head spinning That his switcheroo had to do for everyone I mean It it confounded everyone Those that had been for him Those that had been against him Everyone The Jewish establishment But also the church That he had just been hunting down They were all amazed And they were saying Isn't this the guy wreaking havoc? on the church, and now he's one of them? Or what if you're in the church? Now he's one of us? Saul probably didn't realize at the time, maybe he did, but this sort of opposition and confusion was gonna be with him for a long time. With respect to how people saw him, he was gonna have these kinds of reactions from people everywhere he went, and in pretty much every part of his ministry. It was certainly part of the suffering that he was to incur for the name of Jesus. But there's, there's another thing that stands out to me as I read these verses in Acts. While Saul could immediately tell about his conversion, and he did it with power, and he could be very persuasive in arguing for Christ, he was still going to need preparation and development, and training, and formation to be fully effective as God's servant. I remember at seven when I accepted Jesus into my life. As a seven-year-old, it changed me. I was so excited to tell everybody about Jesus. I told my grandparents about Jesus, tried to lead them to Jesus, didn't know they were already with Jesus. I was trying to save everybody. I was praying for lawnmowers and washing machines. I was telling classmates. As a seven-year-old, I was so pumped to tell people about Jesus, just like Saul. But how many of you know I needed some development to be effective and useful in his hand? Nobody said yes. Trust me, I did. We all do. I'm sure Saul was chomping at the bit ready to go head first into all of this purpose that God had put on him, and he was ready to travel the globe, but there were things Paul, excuse me, let me use his first name, Saul, there were things Saul needed to learn to be an effective servant of the Lord, and he gives us a hint of this when he's writing uh, to the Galatians later in his life. He wrote this, Galatians 1.15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He's talking about this moment on the road to Damascus and what happened right thereafter. When all of that happened, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem Or back to Jerusalem. Remember, that's where he'd come from. To those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, three years. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, another name for Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Just as a side note, can you imagine that conversation between the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, James, who became a leader in the Jerusalem church, and Paul, who had seen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus? Can you imagine what they talked about? I wish I could have been in on that conversation. I bet it was so cool. But Saul had three years before he met any of the other apostles... And during that time, he heads to what, we, what is called Arabia, which is more than likely the Sinai Peninsula. Different people think it is different areas of wilderness, but most people believe it was in, in the Sinai wilderness where Mount Sinai was, which is fascinating when you remember it's at Sinai that Moses sees the burning bush. And it's at Sinai at the time called Mount Horeb, same mountain, that Elijah the prophet escapes from Jezebel's wrath and hiding in a cave, he hears the gentle whisper of the Lord. And so you have this one who received the law, Moses, and this great reformer, Elijah, both having experiences at Sinai. By the way, they also showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration too. That's cool. And now Saul is being led to the same place where they had this moment with the Lord. I think that's pretty significant. A lot has happened around Sinai, and now Saul is being led there, not to attend seminary, not to join some monastery, but certainly to be with the Lord. Paul didn't keep silent after meeting Jesus, nor should you if you meet Jesus today. But he still needed further preparation and development to be fully effective in God's hand. It shows us that if we're going to be effective in serving God, we need to be developed. We need to be trained. We need to be discipled. We need preparation. We can't just go off of the moment that we had. That may be a great testimony to tell, but there is more for us to do he may not take us to Arabia though that'd be cool I guess but he will bring us to himself and that'd be even more cool our formation and our spiritual effectiveness it takes time with the Lord and we don't get to cut corners or outrun his coverage There are no shortcuts or life hacks when it comes to ministry. Development and training and discipleship are still imperative. And oftentimes it takes more time than we would really like for it to take. And it often amounts to many things that we really didn't sign up for. But still, if we trust God, then he can be trusted to develop us and make us useful in his hand. You know, God made a covenant with Abraham and said he'd be the father of a great nation. (laughs) Yet it was 25 years before he even had a single son to start that nation. But that time, that 25 years wasn't wasted with God. It was a a time for Abraham's, Abraham's shaping and his preparing and his development And after 40 years of Moses thinking he really knew he was somebody, he spent 40 more years tending his father-in-law's sheep. Wow, that's a demotion. From Pharaoh's house to tending sheep. Trust me, that is not a glorious job. And it wasn't even his herd. It was his father-in-law's herd. And so Moses is spending this 40 years But in that moment, he learns who he really is in light of who God really is. And then, only then, is he useful in God's hand to fulfill his purpose. 80 years of development to get 40 years of leadership? Wow. And remember these 12 disciples we read out in the Gospels? Three and a half years following Jesus walking with him yes they saw the miracles and they they heard the teaching but they were also walking the dusty roads and they were learning how to follow him and relate to him as master not just friend those years were definitely essential in making them effective useful in God's hand and Jesus himself that's right We read about him as a 12-year-old boy impressing all of the religious scholars of the day and yet there are 18 more years. We don't hear about him in those times. 18 more years that Jesus himself, the son of God, is being trained and developed and prepared for his ministry and when he starts, he goes off for 40 days of prayer and fasting to be with his father to resist the temptation of the enemy. And to be useful for his purpose. When God chooses you, you best be prepared for some training. You best be prepared for some times of waiting and lingering and growing and being stretched and developed. That's why God puts us in community because community is so important as people can walk along with you as we are all being developed and discipled into his useful instruments. It's imperative that if we want to be useful that we will submit to his preparation. After Saul's time in Arabia, he heads back to Damascus. We don't know how long he's there, but he's in Arabia and back in Damascus for three years because that's what Saul said to the Galatians. And so he's heading back there, and as you can imagine, he is raring to go now. Now I got what I need. I mean, yeah, I had the conversion, but these three years, they've made me useful. I'm ready to go. Let's look what happens in verse 23. When many days had passed, which many Bible scholars think that many days have passed speaks of those three years. The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Oh, great. <sighs> the hunter has become the hunted again. But his disciples, now that's interesting, he's got disciples by now, so he is being useful. His disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall Lowering him in a basket. This seems to be a very popular way of escaping in the Bible. A lot of, lot of basket escapes. <laughs> Sometimes I want to escape in a basket. I want Josh to rig me up something and we just, I don't know. Just when I feel like you and I guys are not with me, maybe just, here we go, Uh, (laughs) But Saul is met with stiff resistance in Jerusalem, excuse me, in Damascus, and and he has to escape town in a basket. And it's a good thing one of the disciples lives on the wall where he's got a window where they can lower him down or he's really out of luck. And I've got to imagine this is not exactly the way Saul sees things going for him. I know I've been called to be the apostle of the Gentiles. What? They're about to kill me? Really? Uh, I know I've been called to be the prophet, the apostle of the Gentiles. A basket? Are you kidding me, really? Okay, lower me down, here we go. It's not exactly what he had in mind. But being chosen by God doesn't mean that we won't face opposition. In fact, it means the opposite. If we're not facing opposition, we're probably doing it wrong. Maybe you should ask yourself just how much you feel opposed these days to see how much you are in the will of God. Jesus promised it. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. I mean, he he didn't mince words. Yet, no matter what, he would be with us and his spirit would give us words to speak when they oppressed us. Look at verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he finally made it, three years, he attempted to join the disciples, and they warmly received him, and everybody was happy. No, it doesn't say that. And they were all afraid of him, three years later still, afraid of him, for, he, for they did not believe that he was truly a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the resurrected Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, no doubt having that meeting with Cephas and James, the brother of Jesus, that we read about it in Galatians. He went about preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, and they were seeking to kill him. Well, there you go. Everywhere he is, it feels like they're trying to kill him. Get used to it, Paul. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea in a basket. No, it doesn't say that. And sent him off to Tarsus. And so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is a powerful statement. Remember that it was the persecution that drove them out of Jerusalem so that they would make it to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But now in this season, there is peace. And because there is peace and the fear of the Lord is growing and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that means the church is growing. I think there's only one reason that we really have permission to pray for our own peace and comfort in life. And that is so that his kingdom might grow. That his purposes might avail. That his church might multiply. If we're seeking our peace and our comfort for our sakes, it's the wrong reason. But when there is peace in the land and there is comfort in the spirit, and when there is fear of the Lord growing, then praise God, may his church truly multiply. Saul's ministry years had a lot of resistance. We're gonna talk about it in the coming weeks. He had a lot of successes, he had a lot of suffering, he had a lot of places they wanted to kill him, as we've already read. He had some escapes. He had some beatings, some stonings, some shipwrecks. He had all sorts of things. They left him for dead one time. He also had a lot of quiet. But something that seems almost always present is community. It's a partnership that God very quickly on gave to Paul. He gave him Ananias who came and prayed for him and the scales from his eyes. He gave him disciples in Damascus who could stand with him and help him escape in a basket. He gave him Barnabas who came and became his advocate, his his tag, his side along, his, his partner in the ministry. You remember Barnabas. We read about him earlier where he sold a plot of land and gave all the proceeds to the apostles to take care of the needs of others. Barnabas is actually his nickname. It means son of encouragement. He's back again. And this time he's advocating for Saul, the former persecutor of the church. He's vouching for this guy's authority and authenticity and he's testifying to the fact that truly Paul knows how to preach boldly the name of Jesus. Thank God for encouragers. Thank God for the gift of encouragement. Some of the greatest ministry work you will ever do is the encouraging of someone else. That's why Saul, Paul, would later tell the Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. When you encourage someone, you infuse them with courage courage to go on courage to trust god courage to agree with him courage to be led by the spirit courage to be a witness courage to overcome let us all be encouragers like barnabas curiously enough we don't hear from saul for about the next 10 years such a central figure We've heard about his conversion. We've heard about his three years. We've heard about him meeting up with Peter and with James. And we've heard about him escaping two different places. And for 10 years, he goes radio silent. But that's just two chapters in the book of Acts. Because we find later the same Barnabas that advocated for him in Jerusalem came looking for him in Tarsus. Because you see, there was a great move of God going on in Antioch. And there were things happening. And Barnabas knew his old friend, Saul. Now Paul needed to come along. And so he went looking for him. And by that time, truly, Paul has had even more preparation and even more development and even more work and suffering that has prepared him for this season. Now Paul is God's chosen instrument in his hand called to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. If what we know Paul for as being the Gentile of the nations didn't happen for 13 years past the moment that he was converted, then I think the season of waiting and preparation we might be in is okay with God. The question is not, when will it happen? The question is, Lord, what must you do in me? And so, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, I spoke to Jim Newsom yesterday because a post he made on Facebook I think really sums it up for me. I said, I'm gonna use your words, but I'll give you credit. He posted this. God has a specific calling for you The spiritual race he has set before you is one that no one else can run. And when you finally step out to obey him, you'll be so glad you did. There is no greater satisfaction or peace than in knowing you are doing exactly what God has called you to do. I couldn't say it better than myself, so I'm not going to try. What has God called you to do? He has purpose for your life. Are you living in it? Are you living it out? Have you submitted yourself to his preparation, to his formation, to his development? Have you submitted yourself and asked others to help you grow, like iron sharpening iron, being willing to taking even a corrective word, even a rebuke from a brother because That means you good, according to scripture. Are you facing opposition? Are you not facing opposition? What is Jesus teaching in all of that? And how is he strengthening you for the call? And do you give and receive the encouragement in community? Do you infuse others with courage, build them up, Could it be said of this church like it was of those in Thessalonica? Encourage one another, as I know you are doing. Do you advocate for other believers? Do you find your advocacy from others who are walking with you? When we come to Christ, it's because he has called us to be his chosen instrument, even when we're scoundrels and ornery and not so good useful in his hand to bring him glory to fulfill his purpose and we as a church community as his servants find and fulfill God's purpose for our life both individually and for us corporately amen my wife is going to come and we're going to say some she's going to say some words because her words are always great I didn't say they were better than mine, but she told me I can't say that anymore, but it's true. Um, and as she does, we're going to prepare to come to the Lord's table. So I'd like to ask those who are going to be serving communion, if you go ahead and come up and get your trays and go to your stations. And, uh, and then I'd like to ask any of the musicians who are going to be playing, if you'd like to go ahead and come. And we're going to focus these words and all that God has done here at the table, which is the best place we could do it. Go ahead, sweetie.
1: I think one of the things I love the most about being in Christ is that everything he does, he does in me for me personally, but it's never just about me. And when we come together in this group where we're, working on following him, not just in our own lives, but as a group. Everything he says to us is fills all the buckets. It's for everything. It's, true. it's for you, wherever you are today. But when you respond to him in obedience, it will open doors for the people that are on your prayer list, for the things that are heavy on your heart, for the people that you long to see step into his freedom. So I just want to read a few pieces from 1 Thessalonians 5 from the message. But friends, you're not in the dark. You're not in the dark about how God works. These verses and passages and acts that Chris has been giving to us are insight into how God is working, not just in these scriptures, but today in us, in our lives, what he wants. So we're not in the dark. We're sons of light and daughters of day. And since we're creatures of day, let's act like it. Let's walk in the daylight, dressed in faith, love, and hope. Jesus Christ died for us, a death that triggered life. So, if you've received that life, encourage one another. Build up hope so that we're all together in this, and no one is left out or left behind I know you're already doing this, so just keep doing it. Get along amongst yourselves, each of you doing your part. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to their individual needs, and be careful that when you get on each other's nerves... (laughs) When you don't snap at each other, but you look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants us who belong to Christ to live. Don't suppress the Spirit, because if you do, none of this is possible. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Test everything. Keep the chicken. Throw out the bones. (laughs) May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, fit for the master, the one who called you, is completely dependable. Yes. The amazing grace of Jesus Christ be with us. Amen.
0: We're going to pray for us. And as we do, pray for the elements for you to come to the table. As a church community, this is the table of Jesus Christ. It is not the table of our church. So if you belong to Jesus, you belong here. We do like to come in groups and circle around the the stations here. So if you're here alone or just a couple of people, probably join up with somebody else. Come along with them and receive from the Lord what he has done for you and allow it to take effect in your lives as a community. Let's pray.
1: Father, thank you that you continue to speak words of life to us invite us into your life, fill us up with your life, and give us life to give. Only you can make all of that happen. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So each of us comes to the table today. In whatever condition we are, whether we have fully put on your robes of righteousness or whether we are coming a bit tattered and bruised. But you are able to prepare us and make us useful. You're able to make us full and free yes, Lord. so that when we go in your name, we are offering the fullness and the freedom that only you can produce in your kingdom. Yes, Lord. So, Father, help us lay down what we have and receive without doubting what you have. That's right. May this divine exchange today extend your kingdom in our lives and extend the reach of our kingdom lives into the world around us.
0: Yes, Lord. Lord, as we come, we remember you. We come knowing that you gave your life freely for us. That you hung on a cross, that you shed blood, that we might have life, forgiveness of sin, and a place in your family. So we don't forget, we remember ourselves today. We re-enlist with you. We join with all those who went before and all those who will come after. And we celebrate the life and the love of Jesus we receive today at your table. In Jesus' name.